slow down and look at these songs that God's people sing together. Songs filled with truth and direction. And it could probably be tempting this morning, considering your life and the things that you're facing, that maybe these words don't have much to say about where you are today. And I understand that. Our times are very confusing and complex. We're navigating new technologies like social media, smartphones, AI, to name a few, things that they didn't know in the book of Psalms. We're connected to people all over the world, and we know of horrible things happening thousand miles away, and, and we carry the weight of that knowledge, and we still have to go pick up our kids from school and take them to their doctor's appointments. Our culture is wrestling with what truth is. Or, even scarier, the question, is there truth at all? Sexuality and gender are now being described on the scale of fluidity, and suspicion of institutions and organizations are an all-time high. And belief in Jesus and the truths of the gospel in American culture are rapidly on decline. Life can feel overwhelming and scary. And then you add to that your own personal experiences of anxiety, depression, and grief. So what could these psalms speak to that can help us navigate life today? Church, I want to say it so clearly before we start this series. The book of Psalms is a gift to our souls. This is a gift from God to our souls. These songs have relational and emotional and very raw language in them. Deep human desires are expressed. Words are put to confusion and grief. And in this book, we find ancient remedies to modern problems. So let me pray before we dive into Psalm 1. Father God, we come here this morning not wanting to hear from a person. We come here wanting to hear from you. Lord, would your word affect our hearts today? Would you speak directly into our lives, our circumstances? Would your Holy Spirit bring these words and let them find purchase in our souls? Lord, would you comfort those who need comfort this morning? Would you exhort those who need exhortation? Would you correct those who need correction? Lord, would you have your way with us because we're here to be with you? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, do you know something that everyone is wrestling with these days? It's a question that everyone in the church and out of the church are drawn to. Like it's a magnetic pull. It's this question. What is a blessed life? How do I live a blessed life? Now, before we even dive into any of that, I want to take a moment and just say, what does blessed mean? Good words to describe it are happy and fulfilled. It's not a fickle, merely emotional happiness, but it is happiness. It's happiness with confidence. It's a happiness that can endure even when we are sad and we're facing trials and hardship. It's not, a, it's not a manic happiness in the midst of hard times. You're just laughing and smiling, but it's a happiness that endures through it. Everyone wants to know how to have a blessed life. Everyone you know wants to. Let me survey just a few ways people are trying to grapple with this question today. Maybe you can recognize it in your friends, your coworkers, your family members. Maybe even recognize some of these attempts in your own heart. I know I do. Is the blessed life, do we find it through self-actualization? Can I make myself into a blessed person? One who's well-read, physically fit and competent. One whose soul feels at peace at all times. This is the massive industry of self-help books and gurus of the early 2000s that has been repackaged today by influencers. We look at their lives and we strive. We say, they're blessed so why can't I? And we chase. We subscribe to their 
patron account. We, we purchase their materials. We pursue. We listen to more and more podcasts. And we work harder and harder and harder because we're after that blessed life. Is it through money? The hustle culture that we all feel around us at all times. If you don't have a side job, what are you doing? you got to work harder and grind further and get more money and save it up. And, and you have an ever-lowering age of retirement that you are chasing after. You know, every time I, I go buy Corona cigars, I always see the same guy. Different, different person, but just the same situation. It's the laptop open watching the Robin Hood account go up and down, up and down. All day long watching hope rise, hope erase away. Is it that get-rich scheme that you conjured up? Oh, man, if I can just get into GameStop at the right time and sell it at the right time. AMC, Elon Musk is taking us to the moon. Whatever it is, you are running after a way to get money because deep down we believe that's where the blessed life is. Is it through standing with the right causes? So popular in our culture today to just be adamantly in the right. To stand on the right things, but maybe even more so to hate the right things. To stand against. And if I just get everything right, if I'm just up to date on where I should be standing morally, then finally I'll be a part of the blessed life. Is it escapism? Our world looks for a blessed life and says maybe it's impossible. Maybe we can't find it. So I will watch and stream and stream and I will just escape into entertainment. The temptation to look at your phone and ignore the people that are right there with you because you just can't deal. Is it alcohol? Is it whatever else that will numb you through the day? The kids are in bed, finally, I can just collapse in front of the television until I fall asleep. Or is it the double down our Western culture's made into individualism? Western culture seeks individualism so much that, that it's all about the person. And, and the fruits of that have been a corrosion of community and trust in others. A deeper sense of loneliness and isolation. And instead of saying that's a warning sign we should stop, we've gone even further into a hyper-individualism that maybe if we just go farther, you look deeper in yourself and you find the inner self, the right self, your true self, and you find that. And whatever it looks like, you live it and other people deal with it. And once you get there and you're courageous enough to do that, finally, maybe you'll be blessed. What is the blessed life? How do we find it? Is it even possible? Let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the first psalm in a collection of 41 psalms. The book of Psalms is broken up into multiple books. This is considered the first half of the introduction to the Psalter. The second psalm is the other part. Now this psalm is very much written in the classic biblical wisdom literature. It's chasing out. It's all about what a blessed life is, and it contrasts two different paths. One path is wisdom, and the other path is folly. Wisdom literature is often idealistic in nature, meaning it presents a truth in a vacuum from other realities. But I want to be clear here, it's not unrealistic. See, wisdom literature is not unrealistic. It has its finger on a greater reality, a future reality. 
See, wisdom literature in our psalm today has its finger on eternity. Wisdom is after a blessed life, and biblical wisdom describes a life that is conforming to the coming kingdom of God, even if we don't see it yet. It's concerned about making us citizens for a real kingdom that is really coming. So what is the way to a blessed life according to Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. There are two paths before us today, a way of foolishness and a way of wisdom, two ways to to attempt to pursue a blessed life. First, a blessed person is described by what they do not do. The language of walking, standing, and sitting are not introduced here to describe a scale of sinfulness. As if, man, when you're sitting, you're kind of sinful, but if you're walking, you're gone. No, it's poetic language trying to capture the totality of this. It's saying that this captures all of your life. You're sitting, you're standing, you're walking. The counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seat of scoffers is describing the path of folly. It's every attempt we make at a blessed life that is separated from God. How often are you tempted to take the counsel of the wicked? Let me just be honest. I, I know I am. Often. Now, this certainly can be bad counsel from someone. Like, like getting marriage advice from someone who is... Uh, very uh, perverse and, and cheats on their spouse all the time and you go to them and ask for advice, that, that would be counsel from the wicked. But, but that's not what I think this psalm is after. See, wisdom literature is about contrasting a way of life of wisdom and a way of life of foolishness. So it's so much more than that. It's about who are your companions? Where do you spend your time? Where are you sitting Where are you standing and where are you walking? Because in those places, it's not such an example of what do I do in this circumstance? Tell me, person. It's these places begin to tell you what to value, what to love, what to hope for. Where you spend your time will influence your loves. So are your loves being formed by what you watch on Netflix? Yes, absolutely. Are your children being trained by Disney and DreamWorks? Yep. Have you ever been in a circumstance and you don't know what to do and you just trust your gut? Is that just me? You just just take counsel with yourself and do whatever seems right to you. When you have a question about life, is your first counselor read it? Your hope, is it in health, wealth, and security? And when those things are touched, where do you run? Where's the place you flee to when you feel like your hopes are crumbling? Where do you look for a blessed life? Now here's an important distinction I want to make at the very beginning. There are genuine Christians who fall for the siren call of the world's wisdom. Church, we can just acknowledge this morning, we can be pretty foolish at times, can't we? Right? But I also don't want to take away the weight I think that's in Scripture. That there are people who think that they are in Christ who are in love with this world. You know, in the live youth ministry, I used to say it all the time. There's a way to be around the things of God and not know Jesus. You can have all the trappings of a Christian life. You can go to church in your community groups. You can know the lingo of the Bible and the Bible stories. And you can have no relationship with the living God. So it's important that we don't fool ourselves. What a blessed person doesn't do is walk, stand, and sit in the counsel of the wicked. What do they do? The psalm says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The law is not meant to just be the Ten Commandments here. It's not even the Pentateuch. It, it, it's those things, but it's, it's the counsel and rule of God. 
It's, it's a picture of a life ordered after relationship with God, meaning the blessed life is fidelity to God. It's delighting in God's rule. Now, meditating in this passage is also not a picture of a scholar locked in a room with a giant feather pen just studying Scripture all day. It's not that. See, that's not the meditating it's after. It's after this. It's pondering these words and, 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 and reading them, comprehending them, and then meditating is trying to press those things down into your heart so that you live them. It's taking the values of scriptures, the things that God loves, and starting to love them yourself. And the things God hates, start to hate those things yourself. It's allowing this word to do more than just be a check mark on your day or something that gives you things to say, but, but something that starts to transform who you are. So I want to ask a really important question this morning, and, and, and I really want you to consider it. I know there's a way to ask questions, and we just kind of say, oh, that's a good question. We move on. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Do you delight in the counsel and rule of God? Is that the word to describe it? Do you delight in God's way? Here are the words. This is God's words to us. This is where we find God's commands, encouragements, rule of life, and promises. And how often I have heard and even felt it in my own soul that this is boring. I can't bring myself to read it. I just, I tried. I find it so hard to read, so boring to read. I, 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 I gave an attempt and I gave up. I think sometimes we think that God's word, the Bible, is here to entertain us. The light in the law of the Lord is not entertainment. It's a cultivated delight. We need to acknowledge from the, the start that we have a flesh that craves things contrary to God. Through, through Christ and through the gospel, that has been put to death. But, but scripture also tells us that we are still putting it to death. And we are trying to put on the new life of Christ. So you should not be surprised, brother or sister, when you open up the Bible if you find something resisting it. See, when we pick up our Bibles and we read God's words, we're locked in a death match. You are resisting your old self and you are trying to feed your new self. C.S. Lewis once said that this life, in this life, God is preparing us to enjoy heaven. Meaning that he is preparing our taste, that we actually enjoy the things there. That we like those things. So we must cultivate a delight in God's rule and way of life. Because brothers and sisters, if we are unwilling to try to pursue this, if you're just absolutely apathetic to it, you do not want to cultivate a delight in God's rule and ways, then why do you think you would ever enjoy being with the one who embodies those words? He's the word became flesh. These are God's words. And so we have to fight to delight in God's words so that we can delight in God. Start this week. Listen to the Bible. You know, I, I thought for the longest time listening to an audio version of the Bible would be like cheating, that I need to read it. You know, the, you know, you know, the church historically listened to the Word of God spoken. People would read it out loud in assembly. It's ridiculous. Read a psalm this week. Just read a psalm. Pray through a passage of the Bible. Oh man, how rich is it to, to just read Psalm 1 and be honest before God. Delight in the word of God. And, and you go, Lord, I don't. Help me. You know, not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Lord, I walk in the counsel of wicked. Lord, would you pull me from that? Lord, I want to be a tree planted by streams of living water. Don't just read the Bible. Speak it to our Father. 
and ask him to do it. Maybe your hesitancy to read Scripture has been your frustration with it. Sometimes Scripture slows us down. It frustrates us. We, we disagree with Scripture at times. Now, many Christians acknowledge that God is transforming us from our old selves into the image of his son, Jesus. That is the pattern that Jesus lived, his life. That we would have our character formed into his character. But at the same time, we bristle at Scripture. So I want to ask another important question. If you could have a version of the Word of God that completely agreed with you, would you take it? If you could have a version of God's Word that, that never challenged the way you felt or thought, would you take it? Friction is important. There is texture to everything in this world. You can feel your clothes against your body. And when you walk on the ground, the thing that's keeping me from just slipping and hurting myself is friction. Friction is important. When a master carpenter or a craftsman is making something, like let's say a carpenter is making a table, they use instruments to shave the wood, and then to get out the, the sharp edges, they use sandpaper. And they rub against it, and they form it, and they smooth it out. So I want to ask you, my brothers and sisters, are you forming God's word, or is God's word forming you? When you come to the Bible, are you bringing with you the counsel of the wicked, the ways of sinners, the seat of scoffers? Are you bringing your worldview, your opinions on matters, and you're coming to God's word, and you're standing before the word of the living God, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who created everyone and everything, and is holding it all together, and you come before his word with your opinions, and you say, bow down to me. Or are you bringing all of that before God's word and getting down on your knees before his words and saying, form me? Brothers and sisters, it's not strange that there are things that we believe and feel that are contrary to God's word. That's a part of being in this life and being transformed into his image. But we must come to his word and allow him to transform us. Do we trust ourselves more than we trust the master carpenter? If we had a frictionless Bible, we would never be formed in anything. So it's something to be celebrated when you find Scripture that rubs against your views and values. Now, are there difficult passages in Scripture that need careful study? Yes. But if I'm going to acknowledge that, I want to also acknowledge this. Is the majority of Scripture very clear? Yes. Absolutely. It is. And there is a real effort today to inject complexity where there is simplicity in God's Word. There is a real effort today to bring confusion into very clear commands and rules and ways of life of God's Word. Why? Because people want to form his word, not be formed by it. Brothers and sisters, come to God's word and allow the living God to speak into your life. Can we just be honest this morning? We often like to have very strong opinions. I mean, I've seen people fight over who has the best pizza. We have strong opinions, and we have strong opinions over God's word, but do we have strong opinions over God's word before we've ever even cultivated delight in it? It's possible to, to think very strongly about these words and have no love for his words. What is it like for those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night? Verse 3 and 4. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
I love, I love this picture of a tree planted by streams of water. It's a flourishing tree. It's, it's a prosperous tree. Who wouldn't want that? It sounds like the blessed, blessed life that we're all looking for. Now, the Bible was written in the Middle East. Deserts are surrounding the promised land. So a tree that is planted by streams of water is a truly blessed tree. The other half of this picture is the wicked being like chaff that is driven by the wind. Chaff is the husks of a seed. It's the part of the seed that doesn't have any life or potential for life. It can't become a tree or a plant. These contrasting pictures are a picture of life and a picture of death. But we have a problem with this picture, don't we? For being honest, sometimes our lives don't look all that prosperous, do they? And by contrast, those who choose a life apart from God can have pretty prosperous-looking lives. So we have to ask, where does our definition of prosperity come from? Is it one that's been influenced by the places we stand, sit, and walk? Or is it from delight in these words? Now remember, wisdom literature isn't unrealistic. Instead, it has its finger on a much greater reality, eternity. So if we were looking at the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, the seat of scoffers, the, then prosperity in this world would be through wealth and health. It would be getting more money and more power, more influence. But the word that we're called to delight in would instruct differently. Even this picture of a tree instructs us differently. What is unique about this tree? I mean, like any other tree, it's standing out in the elements of the world. It faces the scorching heat. It deals with storms. Its branches are swayed back and forth. It has to deal with the critters and wildlife around it. What's unique about this tree is that its roots are planted in drinking from life. Following God will not give you perfect health. Hate to break it to you, you probably will not get rich. Your child may still get very sick. You will still lose loved ones. And cancer might come back. And you add to that, as a follower of Christ, you will face persecutions and trials that are unique to being a follower of Christ. Talk about a strong sales pitch, huh? What is unique about this blessed life? The roots of your soul will be planted by life itself. You're drinking from the Lord. You will dwell and abide with God. Your financial issues, your sickness, disability, pain, and loss will be ones where you are being held by God himself. Does it make it easy? No. But I cannot imagine walking through this life without it. Our souls, our hearts are planted in drinking from life. And what of the rest of life? Brothers and sisters, you prosper in the security of your relationship with God. It is finished. It's finished. It's been declared. You are righteous through Jesus. You prosper in gaining the family of the church. I hope it's a blessing. Look around. These people are more than, when I say brothers and sisters, that's not some Christianese thing that we say. That's an acknowledgement that God has given me a new family. I am, I am your family and you are mine. We prosper in being free from the tyranny of sin. I can say no to my sinful flesh now. We, we prosper in knowing that we have a purpose to our lives. And we prosper in knowing that death is not the end. Oh, our greatest enemy, death itself. Where is your sting? You have none for the Christian. These are the treasures of a life in Jesus Christ. 
They are more precious than silver and gold. It's why a poor, homeless Christian can be far, far more wealthy than a billionaire CEO. Brothers and sisters, we are planted by streams of living water. And the wicked may look like they're prospering this life, but they are rootless. They are like chaff. They have no life and no potential for life. They need an intervention like we did. They have no hope beyond this life. The way of the wicked may may lead you to gain this world, but you will lose your soul. Does this picture of, of the wicked being like chaff help us understand some of the confusion in, in the culture around us today. They are rootless. They have no life. And just like us, they want a blessed life. So, so people around us every day are grasping at things in this world, at, at riches and money. If I work harder, or, or if I follow this regimen, or if I get fit enough, or if I get the right person in my life, or if, I, if I'm true enough to myself, or if I'm true enough to my sexual identity, or if I chase after enough things, finally I'll have a blessed life. And then they raise their hands and open them up and find they still have nothing. Church, does that drive your heart to compassion? We are planted by water. And there are thirsty people all around us. And they're dying. It helps me understand why there's so much confusion. It helps me understand why there's so much frustration in our culture. And church, it drives us to go and tell them the hope that we have. It's not that we're the streams of water. It's not that we've created some life for ourselves. It's that we found our life in him. Verse 5 and 6, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Fundamental to Christian belief is the knowledge that this life isn't our home. There is a real day of judgment. Injustices will be corrected. Evil will perish. Death will be defeated and we will give an account for the life that we lived for where we stood, the way we lived. And there are those who stand in the way of sinners, but they will not stand in the judgment. The Lord does not know the way of the wicked, but he knows the way of the righteous. There's a fork in life, and we all have to choose a way to walk. Will you walk in the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous? One leads to eternal life, and the other leads to eternal death. You know, when we read wisdom literature, we always come to this point. It's put before us. Scripture says it clearly. There's a way of righteous that leads to eternal life. There's the way of the wicked that leads to death. And we're confronted with this. Has anyone here lived up to the standard of Psalm 1? We all start walking the wrong way at times, don't we? Maybe this morning you're very far down the wrong path. Or maybe you've recently started to step off the path, flirting with the idea of it. Repentance is a distinctly Christian activity. It's the the acknowledgement of our guilt. It's slowing down and stopping and, and saying, I'm wrong. I'm going the wrong direction. And then stopping, turning around, and heading back in the right direction. That is what repentance is. But repentance can only exist because there is one who fulfills Psalm 1. We all start walking the wrong way, but we need someone who has lived this right. We know that the law won't save us, but the word will. John 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word saves us because the word's name is Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of the wisdom of God. He walked the righteous path his entire life. And then he died for us who stand in the way of sinners. If Jesus is the word that saves us, can we then abandon these words? No. Jesus loves these words. He loves them. We know that because Jesus cherished them. He read them. He memorized them. He resisted temptation by quoting them. He taught from them, and he fulfilled these words. The first sermon after the resurrection was by Jesus, showing how all the words in all the Old Testament were about him. God loves these words. Jesus delighted in the law of the Lord, the words and rule of the Father. Jesus was the one who delighted in the law of the Lord, and he meditated on them day and night. You see the way he meditated on it? It wasn't, it wasn't locked in a room with books and scrolls open. Jesus meditated on the words of his Father by pondering them, praying them, living them, and walking in them. In Jesus, we see the blessed life, the life that we're all after. And the picture's kind of shocking, isn't it? One where Jesus had contentment in very little. He was betrayed by his friends. He was abandoned by them all. He suffered greatly. But he is the embodiment of the blessed life. He had his view on eternity. He followed his father. In the garden, he wrestled with the temptation to follow the wisdom of the world. But he prayed, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus would not trade the seat at the right hand of the father for the seat of scoffers. And through the cross, Jesus has become the way of the righteous. In repentance, we turn back from the well-worn paths of this world and we can walk the way of Jesus, our Savior. So let me ask again the question that started us this morning. What is a blessed life? The world is desperately looking for it. As Christians, we find our souls constantly wrestling with the question. We're tempted to buy into other versions of it. But the blessed life this morning is this. The ancient remedy to modern problems is delighting, trusting, and submitting to the word who became flesh, Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of these words. We are to cultivate a delight in them so that we can walk in his ways. And we're going to take communion in a moment. But before we do, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to the word of God. I believe God wants us to prepare us to take communion together through a time of ministry and response. And I want to first speak to those here today who have never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Maybe, maybe you've acknowledged that you need a Savior and you'll happily take a Savior, but you have never knelt down before him as your king. You've never come before God as your savior and your king. I'm certain you want a blessed life. The question this morning is, is the way of Jesus the way to a blessed life? You've tried other ways. Every single person around you, whether they've been a Christian for almost their entire lives, or they're just a new believer. Every single person in this room has tried other ways. We've all sought to find life somewhere else than God. And there are testimonies all around you this morning of people who desperately clung to the dirt, searching for life, grabbing for life, and opened their hands only to find that there is nothing there. There will never be an end to the other paths you could go. There's always another option trying to sell you life. But brother, sister, friend, 
I want to plead with you this morning. The way you're looking for is Jesus. The way you're looking for is Jesus. You can continue to thirst and thirst and thirst for something, but the, the water you're looking for, his name is Jesus. And if there is any bit where you feel like he is calling you this morning, I plead with all my being, don't hesitate. Don't resist him. Will, will, will your sickness go away? No, probably not. Will you have eternal life with him? Yes. I remember the night I gave my life to Jesus. I had resisted and fought against him. I was, grew up in the church, and I hated Christians so much. I thought, I thought all Christians were hypocrites. And I remember this summer, I met people who genuinely loved Jesus, and I realized I just want to have whatever they have. I don't know what it is, but they have something I don't. And I remember that moment where I was on my knees and I cried out, God, I don't know what I need to do, but I need you. And, and, and I've sinned greatly and here's the things I've done. Would you forgive me? And it was like I had a 30-pound pack on my back my entire life. It's like I had this weight, this burden, and I grew up my whole life with it, so I never knew it was there. But that moment, it was gone. It was shame and condemnation and guilt, and it was gone in that moment, and I knew I had new life. I don't know what you're carrying this morning, whatever it is, no matter how big it is, no matter how tremendous the weight is, God can take that weight now. You just have to call out in the name of Jesus. And if God is doing that in your heart this morning, and you're at the place where you're just saying, I, I don't know what they have, but I want it. When the band comes out and they lead us in worship, I just, I, I really want to encourage you to do this. Just, just look at the person that came with you and tell them. Ask them to pray with you. And together, they will pray with you as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, if you've been in Christ, I, I just want to exhort you this morning. If you are not actively cultivating delight in the word and rule of God, you are more in the counsel of the world than you think. When preparing this sermon, I felt like the Lord was calling for me to lead a time of repentance. And many of us have hardened our hearts towards God, towards his rules his commands, his encouragements, his promises, the sweeping narrative of redemption. We've hardened our hearts. And many of us, even as followers of Jesus, we've stopped delighting in God and instead we've been cultivating a delight in worldliness. Repentance is simply acknowledging our guilt that we're walking the wrong way, turning around and walking towards God. And often we do confession and repentance privately. Maybe we would let one or two other trusted people in on it. But this morning, I believe the Lord wants us to do so together. The wisdom of the world, or more accurate name for it, foolishness, is pervasive. It has a way of creeping into our hearts, sneaking up on us. It draws us to bow down before a lesser king. About a month back, I was on family vacation in the Outer Banks. And a group of us, we made a pact. We were going to go to the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet, and we were going to eat so much that they took Polaroid pictures of us and never let us back in. That was the pact we made. And we drove out there, and we, we put our reservation in, or we told them we want a table or a trough or whatever they had, and we waited in the parking lot. And my sister-in-law looked over, and she's just trying to start conversation in the group. And she said, hey, everybody, if, if there was a genie and it could give you just one wish, what would you wish for? And without a hesitation, I said a billion dollars, because it's like a billion little wishes. A few weeks after that, I'd gone for a run, and I was walking to cool down after my run, and I took the time to pray. 
And the Lord brought Psalm 27, verse 4 to mind. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And I started to pray, God, thank you for growing my heart in this direction. Thank you, God. I, I think if you were to ask me today, I, I, wouldn't, I would honestly say this is what I want. I, I want to be with you. I'd ask for you, Father. And devastatingly, immediately, and lovingly of our God, he brought back that moment to my mind. That when I was asked, the one thing I would ask for, I said money. What had counseled my heart to answer that way? Where was I standing? If I could have one wish, I'd take a billion dollars over the presence of the living God. Who had been speaking into my soul that I would answer like that? I share this confession this morning because I think the Lord gave me a picture of a community turning to him this morning not us privately in our hearts, respectfully as Christians, but, but, but honestly and raw. I had a picture from the Lord that, that people would be encouraged this morning because they would see other people acknowledging, confessing, and churning from their sins back to him. Church, do we believe the gospel that there's no more condemnation that when we go the wrong way, we can openly say, brothers, sisters, I'm in the wrong. And I need to turn back and go the right way. And church, can we do that as a community that then when you see a brother or sister go the wrong way and they're acknowledging it, you get next to them and you say, let's walk back together. That's the picture of the church I want to be in. I think that's the picture of a church that's persuasive. One that grabs the hard heart and softens it and says, there's truly something here. Church, I think God is calling us to freshly commit to fidelity to God's way. I'm going to ask that we make a fresh declaration of this pursuit together. I believe the Lord wants to minister to many here this morning by witnessing others repent. So I'm going to ask that if God is stirring your heart towards repentance this morning, if you are able to simply just kneel, and when we get into worship, you kneel there in a sign of submission to the King of Kings and pray. You just kneel and pray and confess and say, Father, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to turn back and I want to delight in your ways. And maybe, maybe you would be so bold this morning to grab the person next to you and confess to them. Maybe you'd be so bold this morning to lead your family, fathers and mothers, to get down on your knee and show your children that your parents believe in the good news of Jesus. That I need to turn from my sins still. And I need to go back to him. As the land leads in worship, I just encourage, would we minister to one another this morning? you see someone else kneeling, maybe give them space for a moment, allow them to cry out before God, but then come beside them. Get down next to them. Put your arm around them and pray with them. Encourage them. Speak life into your brothers and sisters. Let's remind one another that we can turn back to Jesus and we can walk this way of righteousness together. Let's go before the Lord now as the band leads us in worship. And let's humble ourselves before him.
together. If you're a follower of Christ and you haven't received the elements of communion on your way in this morning, just please raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring them to you now. Communion is for followers of Jesus. 
If you're trusting in Jesus as your soul, Lord, and Savior, we ask, if you're not trusting in Jesus as your soul, Lord, and Savior, we ask that you refrain from taking communion. We don't do this to exclude you, but because of the warning we find in Scripture to not take the Lord's Supper if you're not a follower of His. This morning, we rejoice that we know the way of righteousness. We know the path of righteousness. And for us this morning, it's no longer sinful or sinless perfection. It's walking in the one who is sinless perfection. His name is Jesus, and by his righteousness, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have been saved this morning. We acknowledge that we've all walked in the way of sinners. But through Jesus the way, we have right relationship with God. Some of us have confessed and repented this morning. We rejoice now. We rejoice because we can do this. We can repent because of what he has done. And we can draw near with confidence. Not because of our performance, but because of what he's done for us. First Corinthians chapter 11, it says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat this in remembrance that the body of our Lord Jesus was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. same way he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was enough for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you came for people in the way of sinners, in the seat of scoffers. You called people like us out of darkness into your marvelous light that you gave your life for us and you purchased us back from death Lord we ask that you will continue to transform us into your image we want to love what you love and hate what you hate we want to come to you Lord and we want to trust you would you transform us form us Make us ready for heaven that we would enjoy with you, Lord. Lord, would you transform the church of Metro Life Church to be a community, increasingly so, that has a longing for you. We thank you, Jesus, because we not only pray it, we know you will do it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, let's rejoice in worship. was a wretch I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time sin separated the breach was far too wide but from the far side of the chasm you had me in your side So you made a way across the great divide.
left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt i owed broke my chains freed my soul for the first time i had hope Christ is finished. He cried it out. It is finished. All of our sins. And God is still at work in us today. So if the Lord has stirred in your heart, you have cried out this morning, Lord, I, I don't delight in your law, but I want to. We just want to assure you this morning, our God is faithful. Do not despise the day of small things. The Lord is starting something in your heart that will grow. So this week, as you open up the word of God, come with expectation. Come knowing there will be a fight. But expectation that these are the words of the living God who loves you.
Praise God that he will finish what he has started. If you're here today and this is your first time, you're a guest and this is not why we've invited you, but for our members and those who consider us a home church, we just simply want to remind you that you can give your gifts and offering online or at the kiosk in the back of the ramp on your way out. This is your first Sunday with us. If you've been visiting for a while and you'd like to know more about who we are as a church or, or how do we get uh, do life together or how do you get more involved or how you can start serving. When you know that our, one of our deacons, Eric Chin, is in the back. He's raising his hand right now. And he's going to head out these doors into the left into our connect room and he's going to do what's called Next Steps and it's just a short time. You can come. Uh, you're not captive there. They don't lock the doors once you're in there you can just ask whatever questions you have. We just want to let you know who we are, and hopefully we want to get to know you. If you're uh, here this morning and you want to serve, I think that there's breakdown today. Chip told me to tell everyone, many hands make light work. I don't know if that means just the chairs or stage, but you can come forward and they'll direct you at the end of the service. I want the final word this morning to come from God's word itself. This is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May God bless you this week, church, as you live for his glory.